There's a saying that's true in our day that was true in ancient times. There's three rules about real estate, location, location, location. Naboth has quite a prime real estate of location. First Kings chapter 21 tells us that Naboth has a vineyard that is beside the palace of Ahab, the king of Israel. And Ahab desires that property. Verse 2 tells us that uh, he wants this because he would like to have a vegetable garden. I mean, you know, expand. kings are kings, right? Let's keep expanding. <laughs> so you see him now make an offer to Naboth. Naboth, here's my offer to you. Give me your vineyard and I will give you a better vineyard. Or I'll buy it for what the vineyard is worth. And it seems reasonable, it seems fair to be able to make that kind of offer. But Naboth responds in verse 3 that uh, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. The answer of, uh, of Naboth is very simple. This is not just some random piece of property that I have come across or acquired over time because of prosperity or blessings or things like that. Rather, this is the covenantal inheritance that God had distributed, if you remember, to the tribes, to the clans, and to the families. And the thing that is important about that is you were not allowed to simply sell your property and say, you know, I'm not really happy with my real estate. I'd like to, you know, move on down south or move on north or whatever you felt like moving to. You were to always keep this property. In fact, this inheritance of the covenant blessing was so important that the only thing you could do would be to rent it out for use. And remember in the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, the property came back to the family. If you got only in dire and desperate need, could you do that? You certainly couldn't say, well, sure, I'll take another vineyard down the road. And that's ultimately what Ahab wants. And either Ahab does not know the law of God or he doesn't care about the law of God, one or the other. And he offers to Naboth and says, I want your vineyard. Vegetable garden would be nice out here just outside my palace. And Naboth's answer is very appropriate. Naboth says, I cannot do it. The Lord forbid that I would do that. that. That's something that would be breaking the very law that God has given to our family, to our clans, and ultimately to Israel. But of course, Ahab's response in verse 4 is not, oh, well, that's a shame, but I understand. Let me know if you ever change your mind. That's not how Ahab responds to anything. You probably could expect what his response is going to be based on what we've seen over these past few chapters we're told in verse 4 he went back to his house he's angry and sullen because Naboth said to him I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers and so he lay down on his bed turned his face away and would not eat in a good two-year-old temper tantrum fashion Ahab handles this by going home, being angry, laying in bed, turning his back to the world, and refusing to eat. (laughs) 
Well, Jezebel sees the king of Israel behaving this way and says to Ahab, well, what are you so upset about that you're not even eating? What is going on? And so in verse six, he explains, behold, I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. You know, I just can't live life now because I didn't get what I wanted. And we could probably do a whole sermon on that. We won't, but you know, Ahab cannot go forward because he didn't get his vegetable garden. That's a shame. Jezebel's answer though is stunning. Verse seven, are you now the one who governs Israel? Arise, eat your bread and let your heart be cheerful and I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So Jezebel puts together a solution. And her solution is this, according to verse 8, she writes letters in the names of Ahab and puts his seal on it, sends it to the elders and the leaders of the city uh, where Naboth lives. And she writes in there about proclaiming the fast and put Naboth at the head of the table. And once we get this fast going and he's at the head of the table, what we're going to do in verse 10 is we will have Two worthless men, two, two evil men essentially stand up and say that we heard Naboth curse God and curse the king. And when, once those two uh, false witnesses make that declaration, I want you to take him out and stone him. And so you notice in verses 12 and 13 that that's exactly what happens. And Naboth is in the presence of the people. And the two worthless men stand up and say, Naboth cursed God and the king. And they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Verse 14, they tell Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. Verse 15, as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And so as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. I hope you read the words of that and you just kind of go, wow. What a picture of the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. Can't get what you want? Ah, well, do whatever you need to do to be able to get what you want. And that's why I describe these first 16 verses as ultimately a picture of devastating selfishness. That we are going to do whatever we want and whatever it takes to be able to get whatever we want And ultimately, that's what you see transpiring here, that Jezebel will kill somebody to be able to make it so that Ahab could have his vineyard. Are you not fascinated that in verse 16, Ahab does not say, well, how is Naboth dead already? You know, I just talked to him last week about that vineyard. And all of a sudden now, now he, no, no. Oh, he's so happy now he can go get his vineyard. Well, In the face of great injustice, while a nation and a king and a queen may be doing whatever they want to be able to uh, continue their wickedness, God sees and God is going to do something about that. And you see in verse 17, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah the Tishbite and God says to Elijah, go down and meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who is in Samaria, behold, 
He is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone to take possession. So this is an immediate response that's happening. God immediately sends word to Elijah. Elijah, Ahab is on his way to go take possession of. Did you notice it said not his vineyard, but Naboth's vineyard. He he is taking Naboth's vineyard. And I want you to go meet him there. And I want you to tell him something. Here's what I want you to say to him. Verse 19, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick uh, lick your own blood. <laughs> Here's the message. A violent death is coming to you. And in fact, Elijah is going to elaborate on that in a moment. But verse 20 shows the encounter. Ahab sees Elijah coming and says in verse 20, Have you found me, O my enemy? Ahab likes titles for Elijah. Uh, remember, he called him the troubler of Israel last time they encountered each other. And Elijah spun back, I'm not the troubler of Israel. You're the troubler of Israel. And now the same thing happens here in verse 20. Here is Elijah. He says, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you and I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond and free in Israel. And I'll make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger of which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. In short, disaster is coming not only on you, Ahab, and not only on your wife Jezebel, but on your whole house. The words of verse 22 should ring very large in our ears because remember that proclamation made against Jeroboam's house meant that was the end of the dynasty line, that the kingship was going to move to a whole nother family and Jeroboam's dynasty was done. And then it reminds us that that also happened with Basha and his dynasty was cut off and it moves into Omri and then Ahab. And now God says, just like Jeroboam's house and just like Basha's house, so will be your house. Everybody in it is going to die a violent death. Nobody is going to go down to the grave at 90 years old and it will be sweet and nice and all of that. It is going to be horrible for all of your family, all of your house, all of your children. Nobody is going to survive this. And I want us to take a moment and just really note the severity of the condemnation that God places on Ahab and Jezebel to really see how strongly God stands against this kind of selfish living. And I hope we get a sense of the overwhelming nature of the selfishness by which Ahab and Jezebel lived their life. They did whatever they wanted to do, and they didn't care who got hurt. They didn't care who stood in their way. It didn't matter what God's law says. 
They were going to do what they were going to do. It didn't even matter if people died. I mean, Jezebel just goes, oh, no, let me solve your problem. I'll just kill a guy. And Ahab then goes, oh, he's dead. Great. Uh, no concern for human life. No concern for God's ways and God's values. Completely uh, immersed in this kind of selfish living. And the reason I want to zero in on that for a minute is because I think right now in our culture, in our day and time, we have a really hard time understanding what is the big deal about being selfish. So what? I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to live how I want to live. I just want to be what I want to be. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And that's kind of the banner that we fly in our culture today. And how could God possibly be against that? Why would God be against us just doing what we want to do and living how we want to live and making our own decisions and doing what seems best to us? What is the big deal with that? And one of the things that God is constantly trying to show us about the problem of selfish living is that you are most certainly hurting yourself and you are hurting somebody else. We, we seem to have lost sight of this. When you do what you want to do, somebody else is going to get hurt. We seem to fail to, to capture that. There is a reason why God said all of his laws can hang on two simple commands. Love God and love your neighbor. <laughs> There's a reason that you can boil it down into that. Because when you violate God's law, you're breaking God's law, yes. But you're hurting other people too. And we've just lost this awareness of this idea that we think that nobody is going to be harmed. Nobody's going to have anything happen to them. It's going to all be just fine. There is a reason why this devastating selfishness that Ahab and Jezebel have exhibited throughout their whole reign is now being presented with this disastrous condemnation of completely violent death. None in the family will survive. This dynasty will not go on any longer because that is what God always says is the judgment. You might remember in Romans chapter one and verse 32, after describing those who are living a life of doing what seems best to them and ignoring God and not honoring him, the finale of it is those who practice thus, those things deserves to die. Is that you're worthy of judgment? Is that justice needs to come? You're hurting other people. You are steamrolling other people as you live your life to do what you want to do. And maybe I can prove it like this to you. Let me ask this. Why are so many people getting hurt in our world today? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Is there so much violence? Why is there so much evil? Because everybody's being selfish. Everybody's doing what they want to do. On the way here, we had a green light. Car blows through it. Why? 
could have killed all kinds of people. Because I want to do what I want to do. We can't figure out in our world right now the reason why things are a disaster and everybody's hurting and everybody's got problems and everybody's suffering and everything's going on is because we're all living for ourselves. And why does Naboth die? Because Ahab wants a vegetable garden. At the end of the day, he wants a vegetable garden. And he wants it very convenient to his palace. And so Naboth dies. It is so important that we understand that what God is trying to tell us over and over again is that not only are you destroying yourself, you're destroying others. When you live for you, you're going to hurt the people you love. When you live for you, you are going to reap disastrous consequences. You are going to destroy yourself and destroy others. And and this chapter is wonderful proof of it. And you might wonder, well, why is God so hard on Ahab? Because you have sold yourself to sin. Because you don't care about God. You don't care about his laws. You're just doing what you want to do. You want a vegetable garden and you don't care about anything else. And it's so important for us to see that this is why God gives us these rules and gives us these laws is these are protections for us. They are for our good. These laws are a justice to us so that we would do what is right and that others would not be harmed by our selfish ways. And yet so often, as in Ahab's day, so it is today, we see that that people have ignored that very thing. In fact, I think verse 25 really hits the picture to help us understand the nature of Ahab. Listen to what it says about Ahab in verse 25. There was none. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. Whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Here is a, I'm going to do what I want to do. And Jezebel's like, you do that. You you do that. You should definitely do that. In fact, verse 26. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out. Before the people of Israel, he has reversed everything that God had done for the people, bringing back idolatrous worship, which again is a devastation and a harm to themselves and to others. And so you have this judgment proclaimed by Elijah. Ahab, you're going to die a violent death. Jezebel, you're going to die a violent death. Your dynasty is over. Your children and your household are all going to die. This disastrous condemnation for their wickedness is now fully proclaimed. Which really leads, that's not even the point of the lesson. These last few verses are the point of the lesson. What happens next has two huge surprises in it. Look at these. Verse 27. After describing that there was none who sold himself to do wickedness like Ahab, who had been incited by his wife Jezebel, and no one who had done so abominably in regards to idolatry than somebody like Ahab. Verse 27. And when Ahab heard those words, 
He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. There are two huge surprises here. And I wish we could take a poll and I'd ask you, which surprises you first? (laughs) There are two amazing surprises here. I think surprise number one is Ahab humbled himself. Mind blown. (laughs) I mean, what? The text just reminded us how wicked he is, how much he doesn't care about God, how he sold himself to do wickedness like nobody else. And a wife who incited him to do those very things, nobody did evil like him. And yet Ahab humbled himself. Who would have ever thought that Ahab could humble himself before God? Who would ever read the storyline and think that this would be the outcome? Is that Ahab would tear his clothes and put on sackcloth and humble himself before God and mourn before God? Who would not look at Ahab and say, he is someone who is far too gone for God? There is no way God could ever reach him. There is no way anybody could ever get to his heart. It is black. It is dark. It is wicked through and through. And we just need to forget old Ahab. I mean, who wouldn't think that? I do. Ahab humbled himself. Unbelievable. That even at this point in Ahab's reign, Ahab humbled himself. And friends, we can so easily underestimate the power of God's word in the lives of people. We can so easily underestimate and think, oh, that person's far too gone. There's no way they'd listen. There's no way they'd change. There's no way they'd humble themselves. There's no way they would ever turn around. And I want you to see something here about Ahab. If Ahab can humble his heart, everybody has a chance. And the power of the word of God is amazing. And it reaches even into Ahab's heart. But I don't think that's really the most surprising part of this. Because would you not expect verse 29 to say, And Ahab tore his clothes, and he went about in sackcloth, and he went about mourning, and God sent a message to Elijah that said, Too bad and too late. My goodness, Ahab, you are the worst. I mean, literally the worst. You are the worst. There's no one worse than you. You've been the worst. You've always been the worst. You are full of wickedness and no one has ever outdone you and how bad you've been. I mean, friends, the name Jezebel still rings in infamy. (laughs) Still rings in infamy. God noticed it. 
As surprised as we may be by Ahab's humbling at this moment, let us be also amazed that God noticed it and received it. That God noticed it and he accepted it. I would love to hear if Elijah had a response to that when God came to Elijah and said, have you seen my servant? Ahab? Have you seen my servant, your servant? I, I know about Ahab. No, no. <laughs> have you seen how he's humbled himself before me? He's humbled himself before me. And I want us to see something so valuable, so important, so critical of what God is constantly trying to say to humanity God can still be moved if we'll humble ourselves before him. God can still be moved. And you have not outsinned Ahab that God cannot still be moved by humbling yourself before God. If he will accept the repentance of Ahab, if he will accept how Ahab humbled himself, he will most certainly accept yours. I think it is so powerful to see the nature of God here at this moment and that we understand that God judges righteously, but at the same time, he loves mercy for those who repent. And this is really the essence of what true repentance looks like. It requires us humbling ourselves before God. True repentance does not say, well, it's not my fault. You know, we all are human and make excuses for our sinning or we justify ourselves that you just break down before God and say, I'm a sinner. That's what God wants and that God hears that and he receives that. And I think it is so important that we understand what God is begging for us to do is that if we would humble ourselves before him, that he will hear it, he will receive it. Even if you think you have been worse than Ahab, which you cannot have been. But sometimes we tell ourselves, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea about the life of Ahab. Look at his life. He's the top of the chart. No one worse than him. God noticed Ahab's repentance. God noticed his humility. And not only that, did you notice the rest of verse 29? Do you see that God postponed judgment in mercy? Because he's appealing for there to be a more and continuing repentance from Ahab. He postpones the judgment and says, all right, Ahab, I'll give you more time. Keep with that humble repentance. And I'm going to keep postponing this judgment so that you'll keep seeking me. All that happens so often in scriptures. We're going to see that happen a lot in second Kings where judgment is decreed. And a king will make an appeal to God and God will postpone judgment. And say, God, why are you doing that? Because he's wanting people to appeal to him, to humble themselves and come to him. This is the delay of justice because he's hoping for people to turn before the justice has to come. 
And so he delays it and receives that humbling repentance. Is all right, seek more of it. I'm going to give you more time to turn. I'm going to give you more time to seek me. I'm going to give you more time to seek my face and seek my mercy and seek my righteousness. I'm giving you more time. And that's what God's doing right here. I'm going to postpone it in Ahab's day. It ought to come down right now, but you've humbled yourself so more time. Why do you want to give him more time? So you keep doing what's right. So they keep humbling himself. Keep taking advantage of that opportunity. I think what could be used as a summary for this chapter The words of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, and I'll use this as my umbrella for the joy of being humbled. Where the Apostle Paul, in speaking about the inclusion of Israel, the inclusion of the Gentiles, he says, I want you then to note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. First Kings lays out this essential truth. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. And Ahab's life, you could say the very same thing. I want you to see the severity of God toward those who continue in unbelief, living selfishly, destroying themselves, harming others. I want you to see the severity of God. Look at what God said was going to happen. No one in that house was coming out of there alive and there was going to be a violent death. It was a righteous judgment for what they did. Behold the severity of God. We're not getting away with our sins. We are not getting away with selfish living. Judgment is certainly coming and we see it in the life of Ahab. But then see the kindness of God. Toward those who seek it. And that's the essence of what's happening with Ahab. Is all of a sudden Ahab seeks the face of God. And seeks his kindness. Humbles himself. And God says, okay. You will find kindness. You will find mercy. Judgment will not come in this day. I want to just zero in on how the Apostle Paul said those words as he spoke of the kindness and the severity of God. In chapter 11, verse 23, he concluded that sentence by saying, for God has the power to graft them in again. Can you believe that God had the power to put Ahab in a right relationship with him? He did it to Manasseh. When you get to Judah, he'll be called the worst of the worst for the southern kingdom and hit all the same marks of what Ahab hit for wicked marks. God has the power to graft them in again. 
It is so important that we see that God has the power to take any person and to put them in relationship with him. And friends, that's the joy of being humbled is we need that wake up call so that we will not experience the severity of God, but the kindness of God. That we would see what God thinks about living for ourselves and engaging in selfish living and doing what we think is right in our own eyes and the disaster that comes, not only upon ourselves, but on others. And here is God saying, I'm delaying justice. I'm delaying judgment. It's all being postponed and you can enjoy the blessings of God again if you will humble yourself before me. If you will seek the kindness of God, God can graft you back in again. It's not too late. It's not too late for Ahab. It's not too late for you. But will you humble yourself before God? Will you recognize and say to God, you're right, God, I have lived selfishly. I've done what I wanted to do. And living that way has made things a mess. Ultimately, there's final judgment for me, but we could all look at our lives and see the messes we have made in relationships and situations because we just live selfishly. We talk selfishly, we act selfishly, we do what we want to do, and it causes wreckage. And God's trying to wake us up and say, humble yourself before me before it's too late. So which will you choose to find? Which do you want? Behold the severity of God and behold the kindness of God. And as you can see with Ahab, the choice was his and the choice is ours. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as amazed as I am about the humbling of Ahab, Lord, how can we not praise you and stand in awe of the fact that you will receive anyone who humbles themselves before you? Lord, I pray that you you would help our minds and help our hearts to never think of ourselves or to think of anyone else as too far out of reach from the power of your word and the power of your love. God, I pray that as we know it is your will because you desire all to repent, that the times where justice is delayed becomes opportunities for people to turn their lives and turn their hearts back to you. Lord, we live in a time right now where there is so much selfishness. So many people doing what is right in their own eyes. God, I pray that the pain that is inflicted in this world and the sins that are committed and the violence that is done would cause people to look and see That selfishness leads to pain and only you can bring healing. Lord, help us to see and help our country to see and help our our world to see that you are the answer to all of our problems. 
And it's that you not being in our lives is the reason why things are the mess that they are. Lord, we thank you for patience. Patience that you have had on every single one here in this room. Patience upon every person in this world. God, I pray that that patience is not exhausted, but that people would seek you with all of their heart. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for receiving humble hearts. Thank you for receiving our repentance and receiving our confession. And Lord, thank you for receiving it multitudes upon multitudes of times for how often we fail, how often we make selfish choices. And so God, forgive us for when we've done it. Forgive us for our words. Forgive us for our decisions. Forgive us for our actions. Forgive us for doing what we want to do. Lord, would you remind us when we start down the path of selfishness, remind us how we are standing against you, how we're only hurting ourselves and we're only hurting others. Give us a greater strength to serve you in the days ahead. And thank you for your son so that we could enjoy the mercy and grace that you bestow upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Ahab is quite a picture. What a picture that Ahab presents. It's not too late for you. And I sure hope that you'd consider your situation before God this very evening to turn away from your sins, to no longer live for self, but to live for God. And by doing so, how God can change so many things and bless you in your life and give you the most important thing, salvation and eternity with him forever. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?